0: This morning's reading is taken from Mark, um, chapter 1, beginning at verse 21, and that can be found on page 1002 of the Pew Bibles. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee.
1: Well, thank you very much, Caroline, for reading. Um, If you're really astute and alert, you you might have noticed that we tend not to print in some of the services the Bible reading on the passage. That is intended to encourage you to get sight of it in the Bibles, in the pews. We, We removed Bibles in the pews for about two years during COVID because they were an infection risk. Now we're very glad to give them back to you, and we'd love you to have them open so that you can check just what's being said from the the pulpit, because um, to actually see the words on the page, even even with the great skill of the the projector person that, that puts stuff up on the screen, it might help you just actually be able to see different bits of the reading. You can't always display it all. This is me asking you to open the Bible. And, uh, and we'll pray with the Bible open in front of us. Thank you, Lord, for the, the gift of an open Bible in the church. Uh, we thank you down the years for all that you have uh, done in the lives of your people to secure that uh, word freely available for us in our own language. And we pray you'd help us to value it and to... Take it to heart, even this morning. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember preaching on this passage once before. Um, I was telling them in the earlier service, Maria Dean was leading the service with the the children present at 9.30, and um, I was able to say, Maria, did you realize... I've preached and you were involved in the sermon before because we preached on this passage, I think quite some time ago now, at a joint service with um, Christchurch South Cams in Sauston. So this was happening in Sauston Village College, the Henry Morris um, Hall, and I started out on the sermon and was talking away and Maria Dean and her kids got up and made a rumpus. There was a prearranged Rumpus, during the sermon, near the start of the sermon, I was in full flow. She got up and protested about the sermon and how it could be improved and then walked out with her children. And uh, the next bit of prearranged sort of uh, choreography was for me to get her welcome and to encourage her to come back in. Then we made up and uh, it was all fine. It was all pretend, at least I think it was nearly all pretend, the stuff that Maria said about the sermon. But this sort of thing, what Caroline has read just does not normally happen in church, does it? Not when I've been in church anyway. You don't get big interruptions, really. There's a bit in weddings where everybody is asked, if anyone here knows a reason why these two people shouldn't be married, you ought to declare it now. I've never been there when somebody stood up and said, no, stop this whole show now. If we had big interruptions in church... You'd probably never forget it, would you? Now, today we're looking at an outburst in a service which no one ever forgot. The funny thing is, I can almost guarantee that we're all thinking, as Caroline did the reading, oh, I know that one, heard that before. And maybe some of us allowed ourselves a yawn or a snore as the reading was happening. But I wonder if it's occurred to you that as with so many events in Jesus' life, if I'm allowed to say this, the reason they are boring or the reason they seem boring is because they are not boring. Okay? Otherwise, we find them dull because when they happened, they were anything but dull. And ask yourself, why did everybody remember this story? How did it get preserved as an account of an episode in Jesus? Why do we remember it after once we hear it, 2,000 years on? And it's obvious, isn't it? Once you hear this story, you'll never forget it. It's only boring because it isn't boring, or it wasn't boring when it first happened. And everything in Jesus' life was like that. So amazing that you just wouldn't ever forget it. This was the day when there was an interruption, an argument in the middle of church, in the middle of the sermon. So ask yourself, what's it all about? And I think the clue is in the word which came twice in the reading. Uh, You can see that word in verse 22. So we're in synagogue in verse 21. Jesus begins to teach. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And then you get another mention of authority later on. This first use of the word authority in relation to Jesus is before the dust-up, the encounter between Jesus and the man with the impure or old translations, unclean spirits. So he's exercising authority before there's the authority showdown with the devil. He's exercising authority in verse 22 as he teaches in the synagogue. Um, I, am I allowed to do. Visual aids from the 930 service. There he is. He's teaching, okay? And in the course of the sermon, there's the interruption. The man with the impure spirit effectively says, the devil of hell effectively says, faced with Jesus' authority, stop! Okay? I don't want to be destroyed by you come to destroy us so there's the interruption and then you get authority exercised by Jesus again he's already exercised authority verse 22 by teaching now he commands the unclean spirit to uh, come out of the man and the power of hell over that man is broken so Jesus says no you stop he's had the interruption the devil said stop to the Lord himself And the Lord exercises his authority specifically over the devil at that point. No, you stop. Okay, that was my visual aid for them. That made the sermon shorter for them. It's going to make it longer for us. Sorry about that. Um, But you get it in verse... This is the second incident, isn't it? In verse 27. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And not surprisingly, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Okay? So the clue as to what this passage is about is in that repeated word, authority. What do we mean when we say Jesus has authority? Well, the easiest way to explain it is just to say he is Lord. He's in charge. He's the boss. But I want to break it down and describe it in three different ways. For a start, and this is sort of a recap from last week, he's Lord of our lives. I saw that last week because we read the bit before where Jesus called Simon and Andrew and James and John to follow him. Jesus came to them, you remember, while they were working as fishermen, they were busy living their lives, and he just said, follow me and they came and it is remarkable that that's a remarkable um, episode of authority he was on their turf he was invading their area of expertise Um, that was a pattern that actually would get repeated more than once there was a moment a little later on where Jesus says throw the nets out here Jesus the non-fisherman speaking to Peter the fisherman And says, Jesus, you do that, and then watch what will happen then. It was a pattern in Jesus' life. He could tell Harry Kane how to take a penalty in football. He could know your day job better than you know it yourself. He can call the shots on all your life and never get it wrong. Anyway, those disciples knew that he was the rightful Lord of their lives. And by leaving their nets, they were saying to him, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. Uh, Stop and pause for a moment. I just want to ask, I wonder if you have ever prayed that way before. Prayed that way to Jesus as Lord of your life. What an adventure begins when we do that. Obviously, it's not always easy to live that way. But I can honestly say it will never spoil your life to have Jesus as Lord like that, Lord of our lives. So that's by way of refresher from last week, but I think it does lead into the encounter this week. Secondly, he is Lord over the church, by which I mean the people, not the pointy building. The people God is gathering to hear his word. And incidentally, that is the way that the word church is understood in the Church of England's official documents, the 39 Articles. I like to take the opportunity occasionally to go back to those um, formularies, those foundation documents. This is Article 19. It says this. The visible Church of Christ, you have to forgive the 16th or 17th century language that we've got here. The visible Church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in the which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments be duly administered. So that's the formularies of the Church of England, their definition of church. The visible Church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in the which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments be duly ministered. And you ask yourself with that definition in mind, when is a church not a church? And it's quite interesting, isn't it? A church... Is not a denomination, that means. And that's not to knock denominations and rubbish them. We need the sort of infrastructure to support the work. But the denomination never actually gathers, it never congregates. So, biblically speaking, and Anglicanly speaking, if there's such a word, the denomination is not the church. When is a church not a church? Well, a church is not a church when the Bible is removed or sidelined. No, the visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in which the pure word of God is preached. That's, of course, what gathers God's people together. So that's a bit of a detour. And somebody's thinking, hang on a minute, Where does it say anything in our reading about church? Come on, Simon, be honest with the Bible. Well, the reading we had was reporting a synagogue meeting. And in the New Testament, the synagogue became the pattern of what they did in church. In fact, they even used the word synagogue, which is a word for gathering, to describe their gatherings So there is an equivalent and a crossover, I think, there. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ went so often to his equivalent of church? He was a regular. And strikingly, he went as Lord over the church. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Let me try and unpack what that means, particularly that negation in verse 22. The normal teachers of the law were very knowledgeable, but it was almost book knowledge. Rabbi so and so says this. Somebody else says that in relation to some bit of Bible teaching. Let's synthesize those two arguments and make sense of it and uh, come to some conclusions. It was about as interesting as if I was to read from Wikipedia. It was true, but probably not going to make much difference to anyone. But when Jesus stood up in the synagogue, wow, he'd read from the Bible. And you can think of examples, perhaps from the Gospels. That electric moment in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, read Jesus, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and then he say that's happening today right here right now that's authority or he might say what we looked at recently in this little series on mark mark chapter 1 verse 15 the time has come the kingdom of god has come near which sounds quite low-key as I, I relate to it, but you think what he's saying there. He's saying, the time has come because the king has come. I'm here. Authority again. Maybe the Sermon on the Mount comes to mind. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. That lovely phrase of Jesus that comes again and again. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Nobody speaks like that who doesn't have the authority of God behind what they're saying. And that was Jesus' stock-in-trade phrase wasn't it? So can you tell the difference? Wikipedia, or truly, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. There's all the difference in the world between those two. And they knew it, didn't they? in Capernaum that day. He stood in the gatherings of God's people and he took charge by his his teaching. He took over from every other voice and he brought them the true word of God and it was electric. People were amazed. And you know what? It is still the same today. He may not be physically here, but he is still present by his spirit. He's still Lord of the Church And he takes charge of the church as we all open our Bibles and open our lives to the Bible. When the Bible is shut, well, that just means that really everybody is just bumbling along. Nobody really knows what to think, even if people sound very clever as they shut the Bibles. When we all open the Bible and take it to heart, that puts us in touch with Jesus Christ direct. And we hear a voice we won't hear anywhere else. Don't let anybody tell you that church is dull. No way. You might as well say, Jesus is dull. No way. He's wonderful. He's awesome. He has authority. He is Lord of the church. One last heading. He is Lord over the devil. And I don't think we can avoid that heading and stay true to the conflict Jesus has with the devil in the early chapters of Mark's gospel. We might be tempted to say, oh, surely this is something, some sort of uh, mythology that we can leave behind. We mustn't trivialize the devil by thinking he wears a red boiler suit and has a pointy tail and a fork. In chapter three, um, you get a much more pedestrian, but a much more helpful description of the devil on the lips of Jesus. Jesus says he's like a very strong man, a superhero gone wrong. He's powerful. He can do a lot of harm, like the harm he'd done messing up the man in our Bible reading today. He's powerful, but Jesus is even more powerful, much more powerful. No, you stop, says Jesus. He has authority over the devil, Lord over the devil. And as I said, this clash of authorities surfaces in these early chapters of Mark, repeatedly. Jesus had already fought the devil off convincingly in the desert when he was tempted for 40 days. Now he throws him to the floor in this episode in Capernaum. Let's pause for a second then unpack the implications of this. Notice by implication that there is no opposition from the devil when the voice of Christ is not being heard. I guess this is slightly sort of... um. Reading into it, but I guess that most Sabbaths, the synagogue had no authoritative message from Jesus. So we're just, the implication is they're mumbling rabbis, and the devil wasn't particularly worried by that. Maybe this man with the impure spirit had sat through plenty of services without the devil being remotely threatened. And I guess it is the same today. Satan doesn't need to come out in the open when the authoritative voice of Christ is unheard? Why would he make a fuss when his kingdom is unthreatened? Most of the time, it will suit the devil to operate undercover. The church congregation is asleep, and the devil prefers it that way. Don't disturb the baby. But when the word of God is heard from the lips of the Son of God, in this incident, all hell breaks loose. And then, of course, straight away, hell is defeated because Jesus is lord over the devil. In this, I think it's the second episode of conflict with Satan mentioned by Mark. Apparently, it wasn't all that hard for Jesus, it seems. You know how in horror films, a lot of people talking about the exorcist. I think there was some anniversary for the exorcist that came up just recently. In horror films, they always have the vicar character holding up a, a cross or a Bible. He's... Ash and pale, and he's mumbling all his magic words to try and send the devil packing. Well, one or two words is all it takes from Jesus. Be silent, and the devil's defeated. So that's episode two. Again, amazing authority. There's more on the conflict of Jesus with Satan again next week. We'll try and unpack it a bit more because I guess it is an area where we feel unfamiliar and it's sort of out of our comfort zone to talk about this almost. But we get again another look next week. Then, of course, in three years' time, it would be game over because when Jesus died on the cross, in taking our sin on himself, he dealt with evil and he defeated the devil fully and finally. I say defeated because the cross was the decisive victory. The last book of the Bible talks about the devil being cast down when Jesus' death broke the power of sin. And I thought of one of the letters of Paul where he writes that the devil and his armies have been disarmed. It doesn't mean he's not still active. In fact, if anything, he may seem to be more vindictive and out of control until Jesus returns and finally eliminates the very presence of evil in his world. Until that day, we still experience what somebody's called the the post-D-Day skirmishes of a defeated enemy who is angry and knows that his time is short. But the end is coming, inevitably, after Jesus died for our sins. So this story is a little reminder to us, is it not? When it seems like all hell is breaking loose, as it sometimes does, you read the papers and you think, what is going on? Well, you look at your own life Why is it feeling unhinged and a mess at the moment? When that happens, remember the cross. Remember the second coming of Christ, where the victory of the cross will be fully and finally seen. And remember this foretaste of victory. Remember that synagogue in Capernaum. With Jesus in charge of you, you are absolutely safe. He's stronger than the strong man. He's lord over the devil. Now, I'm pretty much finished uh, for today. I wanted to try and crystallize the teaching of it in a sentence that would just nail it home and just help me remember what I thought um, God had been saying to me as I looked at it and chewed it over this week. Here's my summary sentence. The summary sentence is so long it's hard to remember it, okay? Let's try. The power of the king is experienced through the voice of the king as it impacts individual lives. Okay? And each little bit of the sentence counts. The power of the king is experienced through the voice of the king as it impacts individual lives, or as he impacts individual lives. Um, it would be very tempting, and I I do this regularly, I think, from the front in in a church service, just to leave it as a sort of Wikipedia theoretical level and talk about the power of the king. And you'd quietly sit here nodding heads. It is comforting and reassuring to know that he is Lord, he's on the throne, there's no panic in heaven, and you've heard me say it plenty of times, and there's a little internal thing going on where you're saying blah, 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 blah. That's what I'm hearing from the front. It's still true. He is a mighty, powerful king. He is on the throne of heaven. There's no panic um, in heaven at the moment about your life or about the world. The power of the king, that is true. But I want to go on beyond that and say the power of the king is experienced through the voice of the king. And in for all practical purposes for us, that means as we open the Bible. Um, you might be saying to yourself, if you're, if you're trying to sort of take this episode to heart, do I need to go back to a synagogue in Capernaum? I can't wind the clock back. I? How do I do that? I can't get the experience they had with the Son of God opening the Word of God in quite the way that happened there. Well, the wonder of it is, that we don't need to travel back in time to a synagogue in Capernaum because by his spirit, Jesus is present as the word of God is opened and uh, uh, unpacked for us um, in the Bible today. So the power of the king is experienced through the voice of the king. But the last little bit is really key as well. The power of the king is experienced through the voice of the king as it impacts individual lives. And I don't want to stop short of that bit and encourage you to make sure that you're open to that happening to you today. Don't forget that the devil was there (laughs) active in the presence of Jesus in the account we had in Mark chapter 1 it prompts me to ask, do you believe that he is active and present here today as we gather this morning? Even as the word of Jesus is heard. Do you think he is? Remember that parable of the sower and the seed that was sown on the path where it was too hard. The word was sown and it never really sort of sunk in at all the birds of the air, pecked it off the hard surface before it even took root. Jesus explains that, and he says that that is the devil's trick. Here in church, for example, right now, you are not out of his reach when you come to church. He's here, perched on your shoulder, nabbing the the word of God, the seed before it's really penetrated into your life, by whatever means. With those 9.30 lots, the difficulty of getting kids out the door to church makes me think he's, he's perched on their shoulder in the car journey to church, or in the walk to church, isn't he? All those distractions that happen even before you get here. That'll be true. The birds are there to snatch the seed away when I share the gospel with a friend, and they've got barriers and distractions that make it hard for them to hear the message. Or in a gathering where people will hear the good news, he'll be particularly active in that situation. Mark Ashton used to tell the story about how when he was working on a, or serving on a camp somewhere, um, there's one particular talk, if you're familiar with the camps and house parties, where people get very keyed up to the spiritual battle. And it's the talk when we're explaining about Jesus dying on the cross for sins. Because at that point, so often, people will realize, he did this for me, I've got to give my life to him. And it's the spiritual battle that happens then. The devil hates that talk. Mark Ashton always used to remark, when we were having that sort of service coming up in church, about the episode at camp where the sickness bug hit during the crosstalk. And that was the moment where the distraction came as a boy that was sitting here at the end of a long row with no line of escape possible, forwards or backwards, and about 13 people before he could get to an aisle started throwing up in the talk, or thought he would, and had to thread past you know, Of course it happened then. Snatch away the seed. So be alert to that. Same when I read the Bible on my own. This is my, my confession. Susu said to me this week, um, what are you doing in your quiet times at the moment? Um, embarrassment from the uh, the vicar at that point. Not, not that I hadn't had a quiet time, but I couldn't really remember what I'd done in my quiet time that morning. For some reason or other, I'm not working through a book of the Bible at the moment. I'm slightly snacking on... Um, Uh, uh, other stuff that is really helpful with multiple different passages. And I could not remember what I'd done in my quietness moment. So you ask me that, you'll be helping me to keep me reading the Bible on my own. I get distracted, I read the Bible, and by 10 o'clock, with brain overload on other things happening, I often can't remember it. But will I let the impact of the word of God get to work on my life or just allow the devil to snatch it away. See, the thing is, not just will I expose myself to the voice of Jesus, but will I let it impact my life at the individual level in my marriage, in that impossible relationship in the workplace where I need actually God's perspective, the perspective I'll only find in the Bible to make sense of a situation I cannot really deal with whatever it might be. Will Jesus liberate me? You know the the nursery rhyme with Humpty Dumpty, when Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall? Nobody could put Humpty back together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't do it. It's actually quite a good picture of the human situation. Because of our sin, and because we live in a mucked-up world where the devil still has power, However hard we try, whatever agencies we call in to sort out the mess, we can't fix it. All the king's horses, all the king's men can't put our broken world back together again. Don't you have that sense as you think about intractable political situations in the world and read the news as, as we have it brought home so powerfully in situation after situation? Will be the same in the micro situations of our lives and our families as well. We can't put our broken world back together. We can't put our broken lives back together. But I can tell you there is one person who can. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the challenge of a passage like this is to make sure that he has taken charge of your life. So the sort of follow-me prayer, that they must effectively have said to Jesus, those fishermen, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. We've prayed that way. Uh, Maybe even for the very first time, if you've never prayed that way, that authority clash in your life still needs to happen. You need to lay down your resistance And say, yes, I'll let you be Lord. Seems almost silly to say, I'll let you be Lord. He is Lord. Will you give him those rights over your life? Watch him piecing our lives together when we do that. Make sure he's taken charge of your life. And then see him fixing your life, our families. Our church, our village, our world. Putting it all back together again as only he can. Because he alone is Lord. Let's pray together. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. We, we understand, just as soon as we think of this episode in Capernaum, Heavenly Father, that there's much, much more at stake in our world and in our lives than meets the eye. We thank you for just opening our eyes a little to the, the supernatural conflict there is. It's not just a matter of rocking up to church. There's much more going on, and we pray, Lord Jesus for your mighty word to liberate us and we dare to ask it would liberate others as lives are submitted to him. We thank you that he is a Lord that we can bow to without fear. In our world, authority is often a negative concept, but we thank you that Jesus is a kind and gracious shepherd who cannot do us harm if we submit to him. We pray you'd win that battle in our minds, first of all, that we'd realize that he's a good king and yield our lives to him. And we pray that that remaking of us individually and as a community would happen. We pray it, Lord, to the honor and glory of Jesus' name. Amen.